Welcome back to Sex in Marriage Part 2. Some of you are just joining us and you're thinking, wow, there's a, there's a Part 2? got to go back and listen to Part 1. Yes, we invite you to go back and listen to Part 1 that was last week. And bigger than that, we invite you to go back and listen to all of these sermons that are fitting in a sermon series on marriage that we're calling State of Our Unions, Marriage in Process. We've discussed some very, very important topics, and of course, sex is one of those important topics. And so um, others of you sort of guessed that we would, we would have two talks here on sex because we had two talks on conflict and conflict conflict resolution. And so if we're going to spend two weeks on conflict resolution, hopefully he's going to spend two weeks talking about sex and marriage. Well, yes, that's what's happening right now. Well, in review last week, we had two main points. And so point number one was sex has a God-given purpose. Point number two was sex and marriage is good, so embrace it. Now, we remember that the story began with perfection, right? The Bible story starts with two human beings there, created by God. There they are, naked, unashamed, and brought together in this beautiful covenantal union called marriage together, male and female there together. And sex is wonderful for them. It is is beautiful. Their relationship is perfect. Their relationship with God is perfect. Their relationship with creation is perfect. Yet, all of a sudden, sin enters their story and their sex, their sexuality is changed quite dramatically. And so that's why this week we want to cover points three and four, that sin now begins to enter the story there in that narrative that we find ourselves a part of. Sin enters that story And now sex can bring destruction. Sex can be destructive, so God gives us boundaries. That's the third point. And the fourth point is sex can be destructive, so God gives us grace. Okay, so let's start with a quote from Blaise Pascal. Now, before you laugh, thinking he's going to start a sermon on sex using a quote from a mathematician, isn't Blaise Pascal a, a, like, a, like this French mathematician, this philosopher, an inventor, uh, a physicist, a writer, theologian? Well, before you uh, laugh and, and say that, hear, hear the quote. Hear the quote. Blaise Pascal says, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each person which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the Creator, made known to us through Jesus Christ. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful quote and a wonderful way to start this sermon, part two here on sex and marriage. Because the language that the Bible uses is that of idolatry. Very similar to the quote there by Blaise Pascal, but idolatry is looking to anything above God to give us fulfillment, to give us satisfaction, to give us identity, pleasure, comfort. Meanwhile, idolatry brings chaos and it brings destruction. So our premise today in this sermon is that while sex 
is a good gift from God to be enjoyed in the context of marriage, it can be an idol. Sex can be an idol, and if it's an idol, it will be destructive. Now, as we have encouragement, we want to say that the Bible says that marriage isn't the ultimate experience for humanity. Sex is not the ultimate experience for humanity. Meaning that if you've lived a life without sex, in heaven, you're, you're finally, like finally, when you get to heaven, you're, you're finally going to realize that you didn't miss out. Because heaven, God's very presence, is, is that much better than sex. And if you've lived a life enjoying sex within the boundary of marriage, in heaven, you are going to finally realize that sex doesn't even compare with the joy and the pleasure of being with God and the pleasure that God himself gives you. Now, if you're watching this and you're thinking, oh no, why in the world is he going to talk about how sex can can bring destruction into our lives? I I don't need to hear this. I mean, I, I walk by the power of the Holy Spirit I'm a Christian, and I don't understand how those dirty dogs out there can struggle like that. I don't understand how they could have such struggles or be experiencing such destruction in their lives because of sex. Now, just watch this later. Come back to the sermon if that's what you're truly thinking, because uh, one day there's going to come a day for you whenever you say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I need you, Lord. I need your boundaries. I need your grace. I need you to restore me. You'll change from saying, Lord, just please change those dirty dogs out there. Just change those people who have a problem with sex and their sexuality. But you'll change and you'll finally say, Lord, I am just like those people. Lord, have mercy on me. Show me your boundaries. Give me your grace. So if you're listening to this thinking, I do need this. I do need God's boundaries. I do need God's grace. Let me encourage you that this sermon and of course the Bible is packed with good news. There's good news amidst the destructive nature that sex can bring with it when it's treated like an idol. And so the gospel of good news, good counseling, good therapy to overcome the trauma and restore your ability to enjoy the gift of physical closeness and sex with your spouse that God has intended. I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people that have experienced, has experienced God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's renewal in this area of my life personally. Well, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 through 20. These powerfully packed verses here, I'm going to give you a moment to turn there. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And I list those books of the Bible there in the New Testament um, because I want you to know where those books of the Bible are. In fact, I've given... You, our listeners, the the Table Church, I've given you a challenge and even 
sort of an invitation that if you memorize these books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, and you can recite those without looking at the table of contents, of course, if you can do that, then I'll treat you to an ice cream. Maybe we'll have to do it virtually because we're in COVID season right now, but I'll treat you to an ice cream and we'll enjoy that ice cream together. Okay, now you're finally in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. Let me read it for us. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is inside you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Okay, point number three here says, sex can be destructive, so God gives us boundaries. Notice verse 17 and verse 18, the significance of verses 17 and 18, our our text here today. And the significance is of position and practice. Position and practice. Verse 17, the position. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. That you, if you're a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ, you are beautifully in union with God because of Christ. That's your position. That's your identity that can't be upgraded. It can never be taken away from you. That's your position with God. You didn't work to attain it, but it's a gift that God has given to you by grace. That's your position or your identity. Look at verse 18, the practice. The practice. Now, because of your identity, because of your position with God, Verse 18, he says, flee sexual immorality. And why this is so powerful here, this order of how the position comes before the practice, is because if the Bible started with the boundaries, or the Bible started with rules, hoping that we might establish a relationship with God, that would be called religion. And the Bible starts with our identity first. Our relationship with God first. The Bible is not trying to legislate morality. The Bible is not trying to uh, force people into an ethic. Therefore, Christians' role in society is not to judge others or be someone else's morality cop. You're incompetent to do that. I'm incompetent to do that. All Christians are incompetent. So the Bible does not start with rules. It starts with a relationship with God. If you start with a relationship with God, you'll be led to the boundaries. You'll be given power and joy to live within these boundaries. Or, and or, you'll be given forgiveness when you don't live within these boundaries. You'll be led to repentance where God changes your desire. You'll be given forgiveness so that you come back within those boundaries that God has given us. So that's where we start. That's the starting point, is a relationship with God. 
God is the one who gives these boundaries for our good, for our safety, for our enjoyment. Think about, think about this image, fire, fire. Well, of course we know, at least those of us living in California, especially during fire season, we know that this image, fire, can be destructive. Yet, I want you to think about the fire that you use to cook with. I want you to think about that cozy fireplace. I want you to think about a safe forest fire. All of those can be for your good. In fact, they're created for your good until the fire is not used properly. And when the fire is not used properly, properly, it creates destruction. It creates pain. And so, I mean, just how cool, how cool the gas line that brings the gas and the fire to that stovetop. I mean, think about how cool that is. That little click-click sound, the igniter there. Just how the designer designed that in such a way that, that that gas line would have boundaries around it. So that whenever you turn the dial, uh, you can actually start cooking there instead of it blowing up in your face. Instead of it, imagine that. The, the, the destruction, uh, your entire house burning down if it wasn't designed correctly. So these boundaries are a gift from the designer. God is our designer. God has beautifully designed sex to be enjoyed within the boundaries of in, within marriage. But think about the high rate of sexual misconduct all around us. All around, I mean, every week, every week, there's someone else who's fallen into some sexually explicit excursion. They could be anywhere from a, a politician to a, a spiritual leader, someone within the church, someone down the street that you may not know. Why, why would someone who seems to have it all, right? These people seem to have it all. They have family. They have stability in, in, in the workplace, a great career. Why would they throw it all away for a sexual experience with someone outside the marriage? There's some lure. Now, before you say, yeah, it's just those dirty dogs out there that, that do such a thing, before you say that, we too are prone to the same thing. Our problem, our problem, that is the human's problem, is we have a problem with the human heart. There's a, there's a, there's a soul problem. There's a soul problem here. And we're not blaming the culture or the sexual revolution, but we're taking responsibility for ourselves that we are. We are a part of the problem. And that's because in Genesis chapter 3, in that beginning narrative there, uh, Genesis chapter 3, that lust, adultery, sexual brokenness entered that story and began to bring destruction into our lives. And our answer is a relationship with God who lovingly gives us boundaries and grace for our natural appetite for sex. Now let's talk freedom. Let's talk freedom and boundaries. A culture teaches freedom is the absence of boundaries. Freedom is the absence of restrictions, right? Casual sex encounters that can fulfill my natural urges 
someone may say. Or they say uh, things like, hey, sexual desire is, is human and I, and I can express it in any way that I desire, especially if we're adults and especially if we're two consenting adults. These basically go back to these thoughts, these comments of culture go back to the teachings of Sigmund Freud who focused on the conflict of the external influence and the internal influence. The external influence is that our conscience is formed by our culture and our upbringing. And the internal influence is that innate sex drive and instinct. And according to Freud and others, they would say that we are similar to animals. We function on instinct not on character, and not on wisdom. And so if you want sex, go have it. And that's essentially what Paul, our writer here, our text that we're looking at today in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that's the cultural milieu that, that Paul is speaking into as well. Now, so Sigmund Freud calls sexual ethics repressive. Repressive and artificial and Christianity's message, the good news for us, is that these boundaries that God has given us are good because they come from a good creator, a good designer that knows the very destructive nature that sex can bring with it when it's treated like an idol. And so the Christian message is because of that new relationship with God, there's a new sexual ethic there's a new sexual ethic because now we're in a new relationship with God. These boundaries that God gives us are not repressive. They're not artificial. They're given to help protect us. They're given to us to truly help us experience freedom. There's a book by Charles Hummel, InterVarsity Press, that I really enjoyed this portion of. The book is called Becoming Free, and in it, there's an illustration about a fish, a fish only being free when it's in the water. And so in this book, Charles explains that freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but freedom is finding the right restrictions that fit within your nature. Just like that fish, that fish is freest when it's in the water. A Christian, we have a new nature and a new identity that affects how you live. Verse 19 of our text says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. See, this is wonderful news. This is wonderful news. For the Christian... God has given you the gift of his very presence that lives inside of you called the Holy Spirit to guide you, to encourage you, to give you the fruit of self-control in the midst of sexual temptation, in the midst of a new sexual ethic that we're given as boundaries that say stay pure in your sexuality. Meanwhile, our bodies... Our body, our physical bodies do not like this news that we belong to Christ. No, no, it, it, it wants to do its own thing. 
and our mind, it, it too brings along temptation with it. Now, any magazine, any website designed to target men or, or even women, you'll see articles about power, about money, about identity, and about sex. And that's because those issues sell. Sex sells. You'll read little articles, maybe as you're in the checkout line, in the grocery store, uh, or, or articles that might pop up uh, as you're surfing the web. Articles that say things like, 10 ways to improve your sex life. 7 ways to perform better. It's, it's like in every issue. Again, next issue, they're saying the same thing over and over again. And they know that men and women are going to buy this stuff. So there's this daily bombardment around us. Media knows that sex sells. So it's woven into the very fabric of ads, marketing, music, movies, songs. And this is time that we make a statement here about pornography about pornography, that pornography is a cheap fake. It's being used by the enemy, Satan himself, to invade God's design and beauty for sex. Pornography is a lie. Some spouses get caught using pornography. Other spouses do not get caught by their spouse using pornography. Yet, it causes them leaving feeling more empty than whenever they first went on that website. They first tried to intake or try to enjoy that pornography. It leaves them feeling more isolated. It leaves them feeling more lonely than ever before. And that's because Satan is using it to create an addiction, to destroy your capacity for intimacy. Let's talk about some of these boundaries here. Some of these boundaries that relate to all of us. So yeah, if you're married, if you're single, for all of us. The Bible is not saying that sex is bad, but that you need to build a fire in the right place. Putting the passion in the wrong place is where you'll get burned. Visiting the wrong websites is where you'll get burned. That's a wrong expression for your sex and sexuality. Certain ways that we use our thought life, certain conversations that we're in with people are wrong expressions leading to getting burned. Verse 18 applies to everyone. It applies to everyone. Now, of course, this is relating to marrieds and unmarrieds. Verse 18 of our text says, flee sexual immorality. Now, here's one of the places that the Bible speaks against premarital sex and extramarital sex. This is one of those verses. Very, very clear, and let me explain how clear this verse is. Verse 18, flee sexual Immorality. Now, the older versions of the Bible, I think King James Version, is going to use the word fornication. Now, the Greek version of the Bible uses the word porneia. Now, biblical scholars interpret that Greek word porneia as any type 
sex, outside the boundaries of marriage. Any type sex, outside the boundaries of marriage. And so whenever it says flee sexual immorality, it's talking to all of us. It's talking to the married person. Hey, no sex outside of marriage. It's talking to the single person. Hey, no sex outside of marriage because a good, loving creator God who's designed sex to be enjoyed within the boundaries of marriage has given you, lovingly, given you this boundary. Ephesians chapter 3 says, don't let there be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. That answers the question to someone who asks, well, just how far can I go (laughs) before I'm actually practicing sexual immorality? Does it take intercourse for that to take place? I mean, where is the line? I, I think Ephesians chapter 3, verse I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 is quite clear. Don't let there be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. Now, once again, this sexual ethic is for Christians. (laughs) Right, as a Christian, we wouldn't dare expect a non-Christian to adopt this sexual ethic. Why? Because there's no personal relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ that's there. Focus on that first. Then, as that relationship grows, you will be empowered to embrace these boundaries that God gives you as a gift. So sexual immorality experienced or viewed online is like eating poison. It really is. It's marketed in a different way. It looks attractive. And yet... Ultimately, it's going to cause harm and diminishes and destroys your intimacy and the real thing. Boundaries for marrieds. Let's talk about that. Boundaries for marrieds. Those of you who are married, before you build a fire, you need a place to put it. And that's within the covenant of marriage. Yes, sex. Sex is like a fire. And so sex inside of marriage is like blowing air on those hot coals that causes that powerful flame to burn even more and more powerfully. That's the design. It's supposed to happen that way. And so the boundaries is for it to be enjoyed within that marriage, not outside that marriage. Sex only works in the fullest way that God intended for one man and one woman within the exclusive, permanent, legal commitment of marriage. Put another way, sex is a God-invented way to say to the other person, and I'm quoting from Tim and Kathy Keller's great book called The Meaning of Marriage, is to say to that other person, I belong completely and exclusively and permanently to you. So if you're married, it it means to remain sexually pure within the marriage. Proverbs chapter 5 talks about this. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 20 says, Drink water from your own cistern, 
running water from your own well? Should your springs overflow in the streets? Your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? The beautiful boundaries that God has given you, married husband or wife, is right there inside of marriage. So in addition to adultery, in addition to adultery, here's a few more boundaries for marrieds that I see and that I'm recommending. Uh, The first one is don't withhold sex. Don't withhold sex to punish your spouse. When your spouse has hurt you and there's unresolved conflict and somehow you desire to punish them by withholding sex from them, don't do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 says, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Another one of these boundaries for marriage is don't demand sex from your spouse. See, selfish sex is destructive. A sex that just focuses on your desires and what you want. And that's because Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition." There should be humility uh, within your sex, within marriage, that you're practicing. Another boundary here for marriage is don't shame your spouse. Don't shame your spouse. If your spouse has a past that maybe they're embarrassed about, or maybe they were sexually promiscuous before marriage, don't shame your spouse because of that. Or when frustrated about your sexual lives together, sometimes spouses can say hurtful things to each other. Sometimes spouses can say uh, things to shame the other person and make them feel insecure about their body. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Here's a few boundaries for the singles among us. Boundaries for singles. Remember this, first comes marriage, then comes the fire. (laughs) Right, not fire first. Sex is like fire, so not fire first. Don't try the fire out to see if someone is good enough to become your spouse But it's marriage first, and then kindle the fire. Basically, uh, this is coming from Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 4, that says, Sex must not be awakened or stirred up until the proper time. 
And the proper time is marriage. And basically the mainstream view is that adultery is wrong because it hurts a spouse. But hey, the mainstream view says there's nothing wrong with two consenting adults who aren't married. We can go and have sex with each other. I mean, why would you say that sex outside of marriage is so destructive? Neither one of us are married. We're both single. And here's the reason why. First of all, the reason why is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, which we discussed a moment ago, which applies to all of us, where it says, flee sexual immorality. Run from that. That is your sexual ethic, because that is a that is a boundary that God has given you. Another reason that sex outside of marriage is destructive is because if sex is like money, if sex is like money, sex outside of marriage is a massive devaluation of the currency. Like all addictions, the more you do it, the more sex you have outside of marriage, the less payoff there is. And it becomes less and less pleasurable, less and less powerful, yet more and more addictive. So why abstain from sex outside of marriage? It's because marriage is a picture. Marriage is a picture in the Bible of God's exclusive relationship. God's exclusive relationship with His people. There's a covenant. There's a vow. There's an exclusive relationship that's being enjoyed between God and His people. Sex represents that. And so it's to be enjoyed inside of marriage. God calls His people to give themselves exclusively to God. A whole life commitment. So the Christian, you see, embraces this relationship with God and therefore embraces these God-given boundaries. It's a Christian that's learning to say no to unrighteousness and say no to these type temptations because you, you understand that you've been united with Christ. And so being a Christian means there's a different lifestyle. There's a different lifestyle because God is now the one controlling your lifestyle. You're not the one who's controlling your lifestyle. See, self-control is not us controlling ourselves, but choosing who we let control us. Either the culture, the cultural norm is going to begin to control what I think about sex and sexuality, or as I'm a Christian and I'm surrendering to this God who loves me, God is the one who begins to control me and give me new life as I follow this God. So there's going to either be a sin-empowered life where sin just chooses to do what it wants to do or a spirit-empowered life. The Holy Spirit empowers your life and gives you power to walk a new life. Well, a Christian also A Christian also fails, fails at keeping these boundaries. Some of you right now are saying, thank you so much for saying that. Thank you so much for saying that a Christian isn't just someone who embraces all the boundaries that God has given us for sex, 
but a Christian is also someone who struggles. A Christian is someone who who also fails at times to embrace those God-given boundaries. And so we need grace. That brings us to our fourth point today. This last point is that we need grace. Sex can be destructive, so God gives us grace. God gives us grace. Now, some of you men, I'm just going to speak a word to some of you men right now. Some of you men have gotten your idea of beauty, that of a woman's beauty, from some website of a woman who's been airbrushed. No wonder you think that your wife can't satisfy you. So stop throwing logs on the wrong fire. Stop throwing logs on those fires, those airbrushed images of of women there. And not just to men, some of you women may be looking at websites to see this perfectly looking man, to give you some sort of arousal. Well, that's just putting logs on the wrong fire. Receive God's grace for that. Some of you women are, are miserable right now because you're just watching ongoing episodes of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. And maybe not all of you women, some of you men perhaps are participating in this, thinking that your husband is going to look just like that guy. Or your spouse, your your wife is going to look just like that woman. And you're you're supposed to go on dates like that, that, that some television show is paying for. That person's not paying for it, those dates. Thousands of dollars are going into those dates to make you and me think that that's the way that it ought to be. Luring us, marketing it in such a way so as to lie to us. We need grace. We need God's grace to heal us and to restore us. And that's because when we feed the fire of those ideals for sex, it leads to destruction. It leads to a lack of true intimacy. It leads to exacerbated loneliness. There's a book called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas, and he says, when sex is reduced to pleasure alone, no wife, no husband can meet one another's expectations. See, when we allow culture to be the one that tells us what is the norm, and whenever we allow ourselves to get lured in such a way to where we think that, hey, if I just married that person, if I just had sex with that person, everything would be okay. That's a total lie. We need God's grace to restore us from that. Many of us have been burned by the idolatry of sex. We've been burned by this fire. And because it's been used, sex has been used outside of the boundaries that God has given us, it's brought pain into our lives. We need God's grace. And when I say grace, I mean healing and freedom that God gives us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says... And that is what some of you were. 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I love how this verse says, hey, when you want to talk about idolaters, when you want to talk about those who've been sexually immoral, instead of talking about those people over there somewhere, those dirty dogs over there somewhere, it's, this verse says, such were some of you. We are those people. We need grace. We need forgiveness. Thank you, God, for your grace. So a Christian is always growing in humility because they know that they've been forgiven. The church is a hospital for sinners who know that they have sin that needs to be forgiven. They know that they have pasts. And they know that Christ is able to atone and to cover all of our sins, all of our mistakes, all of our shame, all of our pasts. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 in our text today says, You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Do you see how this sexual ethic of honoring God with your bodies comes from your identity in Christ. He says you were bought with a price. That price is Christ was crucified on a cross for all of our sins. For all of our sins. And because of that grace, it leads, that grace leads to a new lifestyle, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So for the virgin, the virgin listening to this talk right now on how there's sexual destruction and we need God's forgiveness and God's grace for the virgin listening to this who might be thinking, hey, hey, I've been sexually pure. I haven't committed adultery. Maybe it's self-righteousness that you need to be forgiven of. Maybe it's your pride and your arrogance that you need God to forgive you of. For the sexually promiscuous listening to this right now who may be thinking, God, can you make something out of the wreckage? My life is a train wreck, someone might be thinking right now. Can you, please, is there any way possible for you to restore all of that and renew all of that. Could you, in a way, in a way, make me become a virgin all over again? Could you give me a restart? And for the sexually abused or the raped or the molested who may be thinking, you know what, I despise my body. I dread rejection from a future spouse. I'll never be enjoyed. I'll never be desired. I'll never be pursued by anyone is perhaps your fear. Hear this good news. Hear this good news that your body is beautiful. God loves you. God pursues you. And just because someone has used you, just because someone has objectified you, and use your body for their pleasure, it doesn't make you less beautiful. God made you. 
God loves you and desires to make something beautiful out of your story. Something beautiful even though the pain that you've gone through is unspeakable. For the sexual abuser, for the sexual abuser who may be thinking, can God truly forgive me for such awful, awful sin? Is there grace and forgiveness for that? And for everyone else in between, for everyone else in between, hear this good news. God's grace is enough to cover all of your sexual hurts, all of your sexual mistakes, all of your shame. God's grace is always greater than our sin. Psalm 51 is where you should go turn and read. Where David's sin of adultery is recorded there, where David repents, he confesses his sin, and he receives God's covering, God's forgiveness by focusing on God's grace. And when we say God's grace, I don't mean a feeling. I mean a person. God's grace is a person. God is a person. I'm talking about the creator, the sculptor, the artist himself. God can reshape and restore your sex and your sexuality. Grace as a person, as the great physician, a God who can heal our pain and our brokenness. Grace as a wonderful counselor, a God who can give us wisdom in the way that we practice our sex and sexuality. He can guide us. And grace through a good shepherd, a true person, Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, who can lead us forward. And grace because of a forever faithful spouse, Jesus alone, God alone is this faithful spouse. A spousal love of Jesus who unconditionally loves us. Meditate on that grace. Meditate on that person. Receive that person. God himself to restore you, to heal you. Now in conclusion, as we come to a close here, Since sex and sexuality can be an idol, wasn't created as an idol, but since it can be an idol, our invitation is to surrender our sexuality to God. Surrender our sexuality to God. And embrace God's gift of boundaries for sex. And focus on the relationship with God that empowers you to live within those boundaries and to embrace God's grace for healing, for forgiveness, for restoration, and for new beginnings. Why don't we pray that right now? God, we thank you for this beautiful gift of sex that you've given us to be enjoyed within marriage. We've all been hurt and damaged by sex when it's been used in a way contrary to what you designed. Help us confess confess our sexual sins of lust, adultery, impatience, selfishness. 
and help us receive, O God, your gift of boundaries. And help us receive, O God, your gift of grace to forgive us, to heal us, to restore us, and to give us true freedom. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.